You're listening to a special edition of Midori House, broadcast live from the Salone de Mobile in Milan on the 13th of April 2019 on Monocle 24. Midori House is brought to you in association with Hyundai. Coming to you live from the Salone de Mobile in Milan, this is a special edition of Midori House. I'm Georgina Godwin. On this extra Saturday edition, we'll be meeting some of the most fascinating names in design and urbanism as we unpack the concept of problem solving and how it relates to the design process. I'll be joined by Karen Kang from Canada's leading interiors fair, IDS, and Giacomo Buraghi, the founder of Urban Century. That's ahead on another exciting special edition of Midori House, live from the Salone de Mobile in Milan, starting now. Welcome back to Opificio Trenteruno on Via Tortona, where we've perched once again at Monocle's special pop-up studio. I'm Georgina Godwin, and you're tuned to the Saturday edition of Midori House. Over the next 30 minutes, we'll take a deeper look at how the various disciplines of design can help us solve practical problems in our cities, in our architecture, and in our homes. And who better to start us off than the woman behind Canada's leading interiors fair, the IDS, Karen Kang. Welcome to Midori House. Thank you for having me. I can hear Karen's fans in the background giving us a cheer. <laughs> so you, you've clearly, you've clearly got your friends in the audience, and a lot of people who just know you because, of course, you're very well known in the design industry for the fabulous event that you run. Yeah, we're very excited to be here. Uh, what can design and decor do for us then? I suppose that's the, 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 the ultimate question. I mean, design can always solve. I mean, I think a lot of times people think about design and it's very aesthetic and. But design can solve deeper problems. You know, this year, for instance, we had Kat Holmes, who was the director of user experience for Google, and she talks about how you can tackle design problems that can solve problems for people with disabilities. Um, you know, it can really go beyond the surface level. So that's really sort of design at the intersection of, of perhaps craft and technology. I know that there's been a, a lot of work done, for instance, for people, uh, survivors of breast cancer, people who've had d double mastectomies. Yeah, absolutely. We were so impressed. There was this incredible young designer who basically paired up 16th century weaving patterns with um, the intersection of technology to create a bra that is to give confidence for women who are cancer survivors. And that's what really design can do. You can go beyond solving some really, really, they can be big problems, but they can also be little problems, but they're problems that are problems to people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how can we harness as individuals and as designers and people with a, a great interest in it, the, the power of design and visual aesthetics to improve our quality of life? I mean, it all comes from educating people about the power of design, and, and I think that that's something that we do constantly at our event, as we were briefly talking before. What's interesting about IDS is that we speak to both uh, trade professionals and the end user, and so we have uh, conversations from anything around the research and development around an incredible product to people who are designing public spaces that really enhances the well-being of the everyday civilians living in a city and so those are things that are really important to all of us. Mm. Well talking about city living, uh, I wanted to, to mention sustainability uh, because it does seem, and this is a fabulous thing, that plants are taking over. 
Yeah, I mean, it's really exciting. One, one of the things that I'm most excited about this fair in particular is sort of the introduction or use of rethinking material, for instance. You know, we have this incredible installation by Koss, which is a fashion brand, and they partnered with a French architect. And what he did was, you know, again, merging technology with um, craft, but he basically created this incredible 3D printed sculpture made of bioplastics. So the introduction of using new technologies and new materials is definitely very exciting to us. Even just here in Zona Tortona um, and Ventura Futura, there's a lot of you know students, even at the Royal College, where the students are really, really thinking about you know all the materials that are being used. You look at this fair and this tons of products being made. What are we doing with the end products? And those students and those young people are really rethinking it. There's been materials made from recycled clothing, for instance, and that's really, really exciting to us. Mm. And also, I mean, not, not just um, recycled materials like clothing, but also plastics. Uh -huh. uh, and I'm really interested to see that um, scallop shells from, from fishing communities also being used. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I thought was really interesting. It was at Rosanna Arlandi, uh, Bethan Gray, which I believe she's a, she might be an English designer. They've been basically been using what you would consider sort of natural waste. They're shellfish, uh, you know, pieces from shellfishes, and they're sort of recreating materials from that and using it into actual product that's being commercialized. Mm. Now, of course, you run IDS, but you also visit design fairs all over the world. What makes a successful event? I mean, it, I think it really depends on each um, event's mission statement. And for us at IDS, our mission statement is that we bring people together to experience the power of design. And that's something that we really hold true to our heart, for instance. So creating experiences is a very, very important thing for us, but also talking a lot about the power of design. We have an incredible speakers program that range from young product designers to very well-known architecture firms talk about the work that they do and I think that that's really really inspiring inspires you know the probably the most experienced people as well as emerging designers on what can be possible mm. with design do you think that Canadians do things differently from other nations yeah I mean I think what's interesting about Canada is that we're a fairly young country so we're not really beholden to let's say traditional sort of mindset around design you know you think about for an in instance Italy has a very very long history of design and industry and we don't really have that history but what's interesting to me is that Canada being a young country and a very diverse country we're really really open to a lot of collaboration and you really see that in our design. Mm. Speaking of design and collaboration I'm also interested in how design works on an experiential level we were talking earlier about Tom Dixon uh, who was who's incorporating food and design. Just talk to me a little bit about experience and design. I mean, I think, you know, in a world that's so visual and everyone's living online, people are actually finding for opportunities to connect more with one another. And so that, you know, I just thought Tom Dixon's installation um, in Milan this year, it's basically a pre-launch to his actual physical restaurant that will be running in May, is a perfect example of sort of integrating design in a way that's very, very inclusive because people can go and experience not just his beautiful work, but actually experience food. And the, he has long communal tables. Again, opportunities for people to connect through food. Mm -hmm. Now, design's all very well to look at and to enjoy, but what about the business of it? 
I mean, I think that that's a very, very important topic. I think people are really, really looking into it right now. I was very fortunate to go to a talk earlier this week that was headed up by McKinsey Design. Basically, it's the consulting um, agency who's basically working on um, education educating CEOs on having chief design officers because, you know, you really do need creative thinkers to solve not just, um, you know, maybe urban problems, but also business problems. And mm -hmm. I think it's really important that in order for design to exist, you really do need to think about the business behind it as well. Yeah, uh, and you've got to be kind of quite hard-edged about it. But there is the opposite coming out here. Looking around this show, I know that, that you've remarked that actually you're seeing a lot of soft edges. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, again, I feel it's a, in some ways it's also a return to nature. You know, all of the hard edges can be a little bit daunting. There's, there's also been a lot of biophilic design, for instance, and that's really translated to actual physical products. You know, we, we want to be comforted a little bit more. We want to sort of cocoon, so to speak, in our spaces. And so there's been a lot of, um, yeah, incredible, beautiful design. You know, Minoti, for instance, usually has very sort of linear forms. And this year they introduced very subtle round forms forms, El Decor had this incredible um, commentary about the future of work and actually all of their workstations were not sort of, you know, the typical desk, they were actually modular, circular spaces, but it really did encourage opportunity for people to collaborate in teams and feel in a very relaxed state. So I think that you're really going to see a lot of more of the softer forms in the future. Mm. And collaboration is what it's all about. I mean, not just within teams, but within the global design community, coming here and speaking to each other and looking at each other's work. What will you take back from Salone to your own events, to IDS? I mean, a lot of it is bringing different expertise and different viewpoints. I think, again, it speaks to our particular captive audience where we are a completely, a very, very diverse sort of um, industry. And so having all these different experts from around the world and having different viewpoints and some of the challenges that they're facing, um, yeah, we're really excited to introduce that to the Canadian marketplace. Karen, thank you so much. That's just very, very interesting. That's Karen Kang, and she comes from Ideas. Thank you very much. And now our next guest could be described as a bit wooden. Not in that way, of course. As the founder of Portuguese furniture brand Della Spada, Luís de Oliveira knows a thing or two about crafting beautiful objects out of wood. Louis has been coming to the, to the Salone for a couple of decades. He told Tom Edwards how Tortona has changed over the years. I've got to introduce myself. I'm a professional Milan hater. <laughs> I give it grudging respect on sunny days. So I'm not, I, I, you can't treat me as an authority or, or even a historian. You've got to find better people for that. But I, I do remember Tortona being pretty much the offsite of mm. Milan. I do remember it being seen as an oddball thing and it had the energy that all oddball things have and the biggest change since then is the fact that it does feel <laughs> consolidated, yeah. it does feel like it's being financed as an area by the big money of, of larger businesses and it feels that Milan today offers so much more than Tortona which simply wasn't there, it simply was not there so it's a, it's a huge change you know, in scale, which, you know, brings one of my pet hates of Milan, of how do you consume it? How do you, 
how do you deal with all of this? <laughs> it obsesses me. So Well, it, that's funny, and you probably won't appreciate my next question, which is going to be <laughs> kind of almost exactly that. How do you dip in and out? A lot of the people we've spoken to have talked about one of the really nice aspects, which is this pleasing serendipity, the good fortune that you might just bump into friends or colleagues, you know, anywhere, any corner you turn around, you never know who you're going to meet. That's obviously a great aspect of it, but how do you tackle it? Because it's, it is such a monster. Where, where do you even start? So my, my only tip is that I used to worry that this simply could not be dealt with at, at the size that it was, that it had, you know, become. But there is, there's a truth in, the, in, in that our lives are concentric circles, right? <laughs> if you try to capture everything, <laughs> you will fail. <laughs> On the other hand, you have your closest friends and a slightly wider circle. And what, what the best way to consume Milan is to, is to travel your, your network of friends and acquaintances. I think it simply cannot be consumed in the let me amble about and discover things. But it's such a great place to see people that you know and their connections yeah. that that's, that's the way I deal with it. I, I look at five people that I like, that I might have met in the past, and I have a funny feeling that if I see them at venues or events or even for a drink in the evening, they will open doors to another five events and that will open doors to another five events and then I have to go home. <laughs> yeah, before you know it. <laughs> but if I worry <laughs> about the whole darn thing, if I worry, for example, when I think about people like you in the press or I think about people who are professionals looking for things, mm. it must be a struggle. It must yeah. be a struggle. Where, where, how long is a piece of string? The grudging respect comes from recognizing that the serendipity is really important. Yeah. There is no other place where we can achieve this. And that you navigate through the channels you know and you're open to, you know, adventure. Yeah. I like that. Open to adventure. That it's, could be, it's, could be a yeah, little tagline at the bottom. Interestingly there, you're talking about meeting people and they open doors and they open doors. And I guess that is also how good design works. Can I ask you a bit, in terms of your own practice, just this idea about collaboration working with other people I think you've had done lines with like the likes of the studio Elsa before a, a good friend of ours also how important is that that idea of reaching out and collaborating with others and is it because you get to look at how they work is it about fresh ideas innovation how important is collaborating with others in terms of your almost your day-to-day -day work I think it's it's the heart of the industry but it's not being done very well I think there's, if you're a large player, you almost wait for people to line up or you dial the predictable name, right? And if you're a small company, oh golly, I guess you, you live off what comes your way. <laughs> yeah. But the, the idea of, of deliberately saying, let's go find someone and let's establish a long lasting relationship is, is I think a rarity. In, in the industry, you know, if consider this, a lot of companies collect designers, and that makes it very difficult for you to have a meaningful relationship with one or two. And collaboration is about a meaningful relationship, not just discussion over coffee and one product. And I think that that's something that we do differently, but it, it's not unique to us. It's rare, though. You know, it's rare to have these multi-year relationships with people and get to know them and work closely with them rather than just let's meet the deadline let's that's almost a client supplier relationship yeah and that's different from collaboration absolutely and i wonder why why do you think that is a challenge for so many you talked about some commercial aspects which can make it more challenging but is there a bit of a 
a small c conservatism maybe uh, from some key players in this business they're a bit cautious there's safety in in certain names right and there's risk in 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 the younger or lesser known designers you know that's a powerful force that you cannot kind of fight easily at the same time something has happened on the other side of the equation which is the number of people that are practicing design practitioners has exploded in the last 20 years and it makes it very difficult if if perhaps once upon a time in the city people could meet in a bar and there would be five designers on one side and five manufacturers on the other no wonder they had these fabulous relationships you know there, there was a one-to-one ratio yeah. between the producers and the designers and there's no way that applies today and so i think people are confused they don't know how to deal with this flood of of talented and interesting people that have entered the industry it's like do we talk to them all do we you know <laughs> put up a wall choose? and keep them out do we <laughs> yeah. hand them out tickets and they can line up and and they forget that in the end you just need to find someone that you truly enjoy working with mm-hmm. and that you're committed to work with over time uh, rather than trying to find the next thing or the next person or the next talent and that was Louis de Oliveira speaking to Tom Edwards. This is a special weekend edition of Midori House, broadcasting live from the Salone de Mobile in Milan. I'm Georgina Godwin, and my next guest brings a unique mix of city politics to his work as an urbanist. Giacomo Biraghi, welcome to Midori House. Thank uh, you. Now, you founded Secolo Urbano, or Urban Century, back in 2011. Tell us about it. It's basically an association of people that love cities. There are most of all uh, professionals like architects, urbanists, uh, politicians, and we try to set up an urban agenda for Italy. Uh, What it lacks in Italy, I think it's uh, coming back to our, uh, let's say, middle-age comuni, towns, where uh, we were able to leverage on our differences and our on the local grounds. Um, that's not so true anymore, but I think that cities all over the world and also in Italy could play an important role. So Secolo Urban is basically setting up an urban agenda for our nation. And what's, it, what's important to have on that agenda? I mean, I know, for instance, you've worked as a campaign manager for a mayoral election, in fact, here in Milan. Yep. So what is the most important aspect of a mayor's job or what is it that should be on that urban agenda? I think that um, Milan can teach a lot about how to be a mayor today. Uh, even the Salone del Mobile explains very well that it's mostly a combination of autonomous forces. So you don't have to really lead uh, like a top-down approach, like uh, uh, I know what to do in the next 10 years plan. So that's not the major role today. Um, I think you have to leverage on the forces and the energies that are spread in the city, building basic infrastructure. Uh, mobility infrastructure, um, cultural infrastructure, and then let the energy grow. So less bureaucracy, less rules, I would say, more basic infrastructure and let cities spread. Mm, Because you've taken a leading role in the Milan Startup Association, Milan Smart City Agency, the Milan Sharing Economy Stakeholders Initiative. I mean, these are all major organisations contributing hugely to, to the city. What are the themes that link all of these and what's your contribution? I think that um, 
I would say, uh, awful word, storytelling. I think that uh, Milan needed a lot a new storytelling 10 years ago. We were basically the Cinderella of Italy, as you maybe remember. Nobody wanted to visit Milan. It was just an airport base to go then to other cities. It was perceived as a post-industrial, uh, semi-dead, uh, foggish, uh, nothing. Apart uh, from the Last Supper. <laughs> apart for a very damaged Last Supper before the restoration. So also the yeah. Last Supper was not as bright as it is today. Anyway, um, so... The link between all the uh, initiatives you mentioned, it's, I think, a new storytelling, what I call uh, optimism about Milan. So in the last 10 years, I uh, tried to combine with other people, let's say a thousand people, that in different sectors uh, um, leverage new storytelling about Milan. Mm -hmm. And uh, this helped to um, let Salon Mobile bigger and to attract more tourists and to um, show up that Milan could be a good platform for people also to be an entrepreneur or to start new businesses. Now you're clearly very passionate about what you do and I know that you are Milan born and bred, you are Milanese. Yeah. Do you think that you would be this passionate if this wasn't your hometown? That's a good question and uh, I will come to one of the big problems of Milan which is not cosmopolitan enough, even now. Okay, in those uh, five days, you are uh, partying around uh, uh, maybe 40 different nationalities, but that's not the normal uh, set of the city. That's the normal, uh, not the normal pace of Milan. Uh, we are, you are right, a bit too Milanese. So um, I would like that Milan will open up more to other cultures and I dream having uh, maybe um, uh, not uh, Milan-born mayor soon. Mm. How mm. much of a contribution then does Salone de Mobile make to the city? I think that it, uh, it's an ideal uh, link between our manufacturing side, our industrial uh, heritage and present uh, all around Milan there are still uh, a lot of uh, um, factories that produce uh, all the uh, clothes, all the um, uh, furnitures uh, we export all over the world and um, the uh, media and the, uh, let's say, uh, more bespoken and storytelling approach. So Salon Mobile, it's very Milanese in linking uh, our factual um, uh, basic uh, um, producing side with the uh, media, more fashion and uh, uh, outspoken uh, uh, part. Do you think that it can continue in its current format? Just tell us a little bit about your perceptions of, of how it works mm. and, and whether that is sustainable. I really doubt. I was talking about this with other uh, people in the last two months. I think that uh, Milan is in its golden age now but it won't uh, last longer. It's not a bad news. I mean, uh, we had other golden age in the past in uh, Barcelona, in Berlin, now maybe in Lisboa, maybe next in Athens. Milan passed by this and it's now at its top and uh, Salon Mobile is part of this uh, uh, momentum. But golden age will stop soon and also Salon Mobile mostly in its, in its fuori salone, in its out part uh, will evolve in something different. Um, I think that um, this uh, 
hybrid between B2B and pop mass event uh, won't last forever. Because it's not centrally curated? Because it's a set of autonomous, spontaneous, bottom-up, not curated, uh, chaotic and anarchic events. And I think that that's the energy of Fuori Salone, but that will be also uh, its uh, uh, poisoning uh, uh, end. Now, you invented the word expoptimistic. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, we had a world fair here in 2015, uh, which is called Expo in uh, not Anglo-Saxon world. Uh, and uh, nobody believes in it uh, when we launched it. I would mention also Tokyo now or London back in uh, 10 years ago about Olympics. Uh, uh, it's very difficult to support at the beginning those big events. So... In this storytelling approach I mentioned before, I tried to set up an optimism about these big events. Eventually, we did it well, so now all the people have a good memory of this. But at that time, in 2012, three years before the event, uh, we had to be more optimistic. So I started this movement uh, and uh, I tried to uh, set a new pace also uh, regarding Expo, but also regarding Milan, coming back to the beginning of this conversation. Mm. And one of the things that's happening in Milan is this idea of the big orbital park around the city, and that's something you're involved in. Yep, um, Milan 2030 plan, uh, dreams about a city greener and a bit more sustainable. Um, and uh, the big idea within this plan, it's something that I and others developed since the early 2000s, the biggest urban park in the world, 72 kilometers of orbital uh, greenery around the city, which is still existing part, has to be connected, uh, has to be um, completed, but uh, could be something very powerful. Of course, now it's a set of 73 different little parks with different names, with nothing, um, with no coordinating uh, image and name and uh, communication and services. So I would dream about a marathon or a big event soon uh, to launch the biggest park in the world here in Milan. And with this, we will leave forever our industrial heritage and we will uh, uh, start a uh, uh, new century. I think those are fantastic words to, to, to leave you on. The urban age is dawning, isn't it? Thank uh, you. Thank you so much, Giacomo Biragi. Uh, and that is all we have time for. Uh, it brings us to the end of today's show and indeed to the end of the weekend edition for today. A big thank you to all of our guests today, Karen Kang, Luis de Oliveira and Giacomo Biragi. Today's show was produced by Ben Ryland. Our studio managers were Christy Evans and David Stevens in Milan with Sarah Miles at the controls in London. Midori House will be back with another special edition at the same time tomorrow and of course you can join us on the weekend edition too. We'll be broadcasting from 8am London time, that's 9 in Milan. We'll be here all day at Salona de Mobile. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening.